Welcome to the Novak Djokovic podcast, the podcast dedicated to Novak Djokovic, his tennis career, the life and times of Novak, and to the Nole family out there, Novak Djokovic fans. And for this, the inaugural episode of the Novak Djokovic podcast, let me just give you a little bit of a background. Uh, First, let's start off with why would I start a Novak Djokovic-specific podcast? Well, a couple of things. Uh, Number one, if you're a tennis fan in the United States, certainly... American football, baseball, and basketball dominate the headlines. There's not a lot of tennis coverage. Now, certainly you can you can find the, the tennis matches for all these different tournaments on television, but in terms of the talk radio, the highlight shows, there's not a lot of coverage of tennis. It kind of takes a backseat to those other sports. And so I've been a little bit disappointed by the lack of coverage in the U.S., specifically when the major tournaments roll around, you would figure there'd be more coverage. And so if, uh, if I'm disappointed in the level of coverage for tennis in general, you might ask, well, why not a tennis podcast? Why one specific to Novak Djokovic? And there are really a couple of reasons. Uh, certainly, number one, I am a fan of tennis, but I'm more a fan of Novak than I am of tennis in general, uh, certainly. Um, so it'd be, it would be difficult for me to be very objective. I have such an affinity for Novak, and I'll talk about some of those reasons in just a minute. It would make it difficult for me to be objective covering the sport of tennis and all the different players involved. Um, number two, I certainly wouldn't have the same interest level if Novak wasn't competing. So if you look at these different tournaments, you know, if Novak lost, let's say, in the quarterfinals, it'd be difficult for me to really have the same level of interest. I wouldn't be very excited about doing a podcast about the rest of the tournament if Novak wasn't competing. And so if you ask the question, well, then why such an affinity for Novak Djokovic? And I think most of those Novak fans out there, the Nole family out there, will certainly uh, it really kind of, uh, I guess, uh, understand these reasons why I'm, I have an affinity for Novak. You guys can certainly relate. I'll say, number one, Novak's quest for number one in the world back in the late 2000s, early 2010s, was really just so compelling and so inspiring to me. Um, if you look at Novak's career, certainly he was number three in the world for four consecutive years and certainly had a difficult time beating Nadal and Federer, at least in the the big tournaments in those final matches, semifinals and late in those those tournaments. And it really took a, a really dedicated approach to all aspects of being an athlete for him to really overcome that. Uh, if you look at the work that Novak did on his diet, his fitness levels, um, the flexibility that he shows in his game, um, all the different aspects of his game, his, his play at the net, his service game, and per- particularly his mental approach to the game. He became so much more stoic in the big points he became so much more confident in the men- his mental approach to the game really was stellar as he made that rise to number one. So a lot of things that he had to overcome. And it's so frustrating for a lot of players in the t- game of tennis and the men's side specifically. Um, if you look at a lot of these guys will get to be number 20, number 15, number 10 in the world, maybe even up to number five, six or seven. And so often when they get to that level but can't beat the best players in the world, they become so frustrated and it really takes a toll on their game. They start to lose motivation and you find them drifting back to number 12, number 15, number 20, and then out of the top 20. And in a sport like tennis, just a, a slight differential in terms of the talent and the skill levels of a tennis player can really play out dramatically on the court and can be very frustrating for those players. And a lot of times, you know, you can dedicate yourself to being better in all these different aspects of your game, but it still doesn't guarantee you're going to get to number one. And with all that, you know, intimidation, Novak really... S- dedicated himself to being all those all those slight improvements in his game and fortunately for him he was able to overtake those guys and become number one in the world Um, another reason why I'm certainly so fond of Novak 
Um, he, he opens up his emotions to his fans and to the tennis world, certainly whether it's, it's his, his joy on the court, his frustrations, his anger, all that is on display for us. And I really find that refreshing. I just find that he wears his emotions on his sleeves and really allows his fans to come in and see what he's feeling at all times. And I think that's very genuine. He's just a very genuine person. And it really, is, to me, is, is very heartwarming. Um, I think Novak has, certainly has such a great heart. I think he's a good person. I think he wants, you know, he wants his tennis to be inspiring to others, and he wants what's best for everyone, and he really gives his heart. You can see it in the gesture he makes on the court after he wins his tournaments. Uh, just very you know, open with his heart and wanting to give his love to all the fans who appreciate him. Um, also, you think about the background. What, you know, the humble beginnings that Novak came from, literally the, the tennis court where he practiced as a child, um, certainly under, under deluge of bombs on a regular basis, um, his neighborhoods blown up, people he knew and loved close by him uh, being torn apart by a war. And to make it so, you know, so to speak, from war to Wimbledon, such a great journey. And so many tennis players come from a very, you know, privileged background. They come from country clubs and those kind of a money backgrounds. And for him to overcome what he overcame just as a child growing up and, and under those circumstances and really stay dedicated to all the things that he had to do to become a great den tennis player, how can you not be inspired by what his background is and what he has become? Um, I certainly do think Novak is misunderstood as well. I think, you know, a lot of tennis fans like to paint him as the villain. I think it's just, again, a matter of him showing his emotions, whether it's anger, whether it's joy on the court. He's very open with those. And I, I certainly don't think that makes him a bad guy. I think it's, uh, you know, he has, I think at times he's justified. At times some of the, the tennis fans out there are, you know, are not showing the proper etiquette. Um, and it's, it's certainly, there's a respect that I think is, is uh, inherent in, in a tennis match of, of all the fans in, in attendance. And I think certainly sometimes it's, it's justified when he gets a little bit angry at some, what some of the fans do. I think that's certainly justified given some of the, what's at stake in some of these tournaments. Um, I think also certainly uh, Novak's philanthropy. He's been, you know, he's raised money for refugees. He's worked with UNICEF. He's been, a, a, you know, an ambassador for UNICEF. Um, he's also won the uh, Novak, uh, the uh, Arthur Ashe um, uh, ambassador award for tennis. Um, certainly he's, he's raised money for early childhood uh, education in terms of his foundation. So, so much work that he does. He, again, he really is using his celebrity status to do great things off the court. And that's really heartwarming and inspiring as well. Um, I certainly do. Uh, I, I want to use this as a forum also just to, to galvanize some of the Novak fans out there. You know, sometimes you get the sense with the way, way tennis is covered and by some of the reactions of the fans in certain venues, Wimbledon particularly, there's such a strong affinity for Roger Federer there, that sometimes you lose sight of the fact that there are so many Novak fans out there. And um, at certain times, again, I think there is a lack of etiquette. I think Wimbledon could do a better job of policing some of the behavior of a small percentage of the fans who have really shown a lack of etiquette and a lack of respect to Novak. You know, some, some folks making outbursts when he's on his backswing during the serve, you know, when points are still ongoing. Um, I think it's really up to Wimbledon to really step up their game in terms of policing the behavior of the fans because every tennis player, Novak and all the tennis players, deserve a certain level of respect when they're on the court. Uh, respect for their games and for the event. Um, also, another reason, I just find Novak's game so captivating. I think, you know, you look at the, the power, the precision of his game, um, how consistent he is. It's really amazing, you know, the speed at which these guys play, how precise he can be and how he can get such power and depth on his ground strokes over and over again, hit the lines, hit the corners. Um, it's so amazing, the, the level of uh, consistency. You know, there's a saying when Novak is on the court that these guys that 
that play against him have to hit, you know, seven or eight perfect shots to win a point. It really does put a whole nother level of pressure when you got a guy who is capable of playing at that high a level. And I would say, finally, the reason I have such a, a great affinity for Novak is, you know, Novak wrote a book called Serve to Win that I read a couple of years ago. And I was really just looking for books about his tennis career and about him as a person. I wasn't specifically looking for a diet book or a book about nutrition, but I happened to come across that book on a Google search. And I have to say, it really was transformational for me. Uh, I am currently, I'm over 50 years old. And a couple of years ago, I was, you know, finding myself in poor health and getting overweight. And I read that book. And for those of you who are not familiar with the story, Novak was, you know, and again, number three in the world. Uh, he changed his diet, made some dietary changes. He went to a a gluten-free and a dairy-free diet. And when he did that, it really changed his game. It changed his fitness level. He was had get greater clarity in terms of his mental fitness on, on the court. Um, but when I read that book and tried what, you know, Novak suggested, again, taking those things out of my diet, it really was transformational for me from a health standpoint. I became I lost 25 to 30 pounds within a short period of time, have kept that weight off. Again, I have so much more energy and feel like so much different than I did prior to that. So um, there are a lot of you know tennis players and other sports um, guys in other sports you know who have performed at a high level that have been inspiring to me. But I can't say that anybody has transformed my life like Novak's. You know, the, again, the advice that he gave in that book, Serve to Win, it's really been fantastic for me. And I'm so appreciative that he made that information available. And again, opened himself up to his public. Again, gave, shared all the different things that he did for, for the benefit of others. So those are the, some of the reasons why I have such an affinity for Novak and why I would start a podcast such as this. Uh, it's great to connect with all the Novak uh, fans out there, those out on Twitter who are sharing just great information via Twitter. Um, let me give you some ideas. I'll be certainly covering Novak uh, in terms of the rest of the hardcourt season. As I, re as I record this podcast, Novak has just had a fantastic day at the Cincinnati Open. Uh, he finished off a victory over Dimitrov that was, uh, that was delayed yesterday because of rain. Came back only a few hours later against Milos Ranić, a guy who has an incredibly powerful serve. And Novak, again, he won the first set, lost the second, but uh, Ronich was consistently serving the ball uh, over, uh, I would say, over uh, 140 miles an hour. And it was amazing how well he played, but it took a lot for Novak to really overcome that. He came back and won, so essentially winning two matches in one day. And he's again, continues that quest for the Cincinnati Masters, the one that he has not won in his career. That would cap off the career of having won all the major tournaments and all the ATP champ 1000 championships as well. So really a great tournament for him. So some of the upcoming ideas for episodes, um, in addition to just covering the tennis game and the, the upcoming hardcourt season, including the U.S. Open. I'd like to do a future podcast on Novak's mental approach to the game, which I think is really fascinating. If you look back at, uh, you know, back in 20, uh, 2016, when Novak had won the Australian Open, at that point in time, he had won three out of four major tournaments in 2015, and in 2016, won the Australian to make it uh, four out of the last five. And of course, he would win the French that year as well to win five out of the last six. But after that Australian Open, one of the reporters in the press conference asked him a question. They said, Novak, you know, what do you attribute your ability to play at such a high level? And Novak said, you know, it's not that easy just to say one thing. You know, it's really a series of things, a lot of different things that helps you become a great tennis player. But he said, you know, for me, one of the things that really worked was to really be able to, to deal with those mental and emotional issues off the court so I could become a better player on the court. 
Uh, it was a really a candid response. He said, you know, you deal with those emotions in a constructive way, all those emotions that we deal with as human beings, and you become a better person, and that allows you to contain the, and keep those emotions in check and stay calm when you're on the court. Because if you have those emotions that, that are bubbling up off the court, uh, when you get in those key moments, those pressure moments, those things are going to spill over onto the court. And I thought it was such a candid response and one that really uh, I thought was worthy of further discussion. I thought there was going to be a follow-up uh, question by the, by the press, but they really moved on to other questions. But I think that is a topic that certainly deserves um, further discussion. And I think, again, it was a case of Novak being really candid uh, and, and open with you know, what works for him and, and bringing us into his life and his own personal emotions and letting us understand how that helped him become a better tennis player. So I'd like to have another episode talking more specifically about that. I would like to have an episode talking about the greatest of all time, the GOAT. Uh, you know, there's all these arguments between, you know, is it Roger Federer? Is it Rafael Nadal? Is it uh, Novak Djokovic, Pete Sampras, Rod Laver? And I would like to have a discussion because I think the current great tennis players uh, Nadal, Federer, and Djokovic, I think you can make a case for and against both of those guys, all three of those guys being the greatest player of all time. Um, and I think there are fascinating arguments for and against. And certainly it's a little bit premature to have those discussions when both, all three of these guys are still very much ongoing in their careers and capable of winning many more championships. But I will say I think it is still a fascinating discussion, and I'd like to have a discussion about that. Um, I would like to also discuss in one episode, um, if you look at how Novak's game has really, I guess, evolved over the last several years, I think if you look at 2011, where Novak was really just much more of a straight power game with ground strokes sitting at the baseline, and I think you look of late, uh, you look at 2015 and beyond through 2018, I think you really see a greater variety in his game. I think you see Novak a lot more finesse at the net, a lot more you know, softer shots, change of pace using that backhand slice to change pace on players and using a lot more variety in his shots. And I think that's been kind of a maturity of his game that I'd like to discuss in, in further detail. Uh, I would like to do one episode on a Wimbledon recap. Of course, we're coming off of Wimbledon where uh, Novak's comeback after two and a half years um, from winning his last major, uh, he really came back and, uh, and, and had a, a fantastic tournament. But I think it was a very compelling tournament for a lot of reasons. Uh, I think you look at uh, some of those five-set matches that, that – Anderson played, both beating Federer and Isner. Um, the arguments about whether or not we should go to tiebreakers in the fifth set. Uh, I think there's some fascinating conversations there. I think there's some conversations as well uh, about you know that Nadal-Djokovic semifinal, I think, was one of the greatest of their storied rivalry. Uh, these guys have squared off, I believe, 52 times in their careers. I think it's 27-25 now, Novak. Um, and I think this is one of the top, maybe top five uh, matches between those two guys, maybe ranking right up there with the, uh, the, the final in the Australian Open when certainly Novak had beat uh, Nadal in, in five sets going five hours and 53 minutes. This was, was right up there. It was played, of course, over two days uh, that was delayed because of the end of the day, uh, but just one of the great uh, matches of their rivalry. And uh, I think you also, I would like to do an episode talking about, you know, I think the 2010 and 2011 U.S. Opens for Novak were, were really key. I think if you look at the semifinal wins he had in both of those years uh, against Roger Federer, in both of those matches he played, uh, he had double match point against him. And in both cases he was able to win both of those uh, match points against him and come back and win those five-set matches. And in 2011 he was down two sets to love, won a five-set match coming back from 2-0. 
and beat uh, Roger Federer. So I think in terms of his mental approach, I think that really changed the, the dynamic there between him and Roger. And I think it rose uh, Novak's career to a whole new level when he was able to win those two tournaments. And I think it really flipped. That's when I think he really became the, the greatest in the game, not only in terms of his tennis game, but his mental approach. So I'll talk about that. And then finally, I would like to talk about Novak's comeback. You know, it's been a rough couple of years, but it's culminated with that fantastic victory at Wimbledon. And certainly it was epic in terms of him winning in front of his son and his wife. And, uh, it, but it really culminated a very difficult two years and made certainly Novak appreciate the win very much. And uh, if you look at, certainly it's a, if you look at the, the injuries he had to come back, uh, I, kind of, I think some of the exhaustion of just winning five out of six majors and finally winning that French Open. And then also, uh, you know, just the injuries and some off-the-court issues that he had as well. So we'll talk a little bit more about that. But uh, certainly, again, it's great to be with all the Novak fans out there, that Nole fam out there on Twitter. Uh, we'll be posting podcasts again in the upcoming days and weeks as the heart court season uh, continues. And also, I would like your feedback if there's any specific topics about Novak Djokovic you'd like me to cover. Um, any comments you have about this podcast, we'd certainly like those comments. But we'll certainly use that hashtag of Nole fam, so N-O-L-E-F-A-M out on Twitter to be able to promote these podcasts and get your feedback and comments. So with that, um, we'll wrap up this inaugural episode. Look for another upcoming episode very soon. This is the Nole Family Podcast featuring Novak Djokovic and his fans. Have a great day.